Welcome to Apply Filters, the podcast all about WordPress development. Now, here's your hosts, Pippin Williamson and Brad Tunar. Welcome back to episode 83 of Apply Filters. This is going to be our last episode before we retire the podcast. Uh, we announced about two weeks ago that we were going to retire the podcast and stop recording episodes. And so this is the last one. When we announced that, the predominant question we got was, why? Why are we retiring? Uh, we've seen there's been a lot of people that have enjoyed the podcast. We've received a lot of great feedback over the last two years or so that we've been doing it, and it's been a lot of fun. Um, so let's let's start by answering that question. So Brad, why are we retiring? Yeah, I think I think there's probably a few reasons. And it's funny, I think we should um, maybe let people know that we were we knew something had to change for sure. Um, and we'd been discussing that for quite a while, that something something had to change. We discussed getting our teams involved in the podcast and having them run the show maybe. Um, and then ultimately we came to a point where we were just like, maybe we should just re- let it go. Maybe we should just retire it and we could do something else later um, if it made sense. Um, so that's kind of where we ended up. We just, we felt that uh, it was time to move on. We've been doing this for a couple of years now. Um, and when we started, it was it was a lot of fun. Uh, it was very exciting and new. Um, and we were at, I know I personally was in a very different place than I am now. When we started this, I had just launched uh, MigrateDB Pro like a few months earlier. And I had one developer, um, and now we're up to nine developers, or nine people, one marketer and eight developers. And my days are mostly managing um, that team, whereas back then I was writing code and like I, was, I had my hands dirty every day. Um, and it was so it was really easy to talk about like development challenges and and things that we were struggling with and um, and so it was just easy to to jump on a call with you Pippin and and just hit record and just talk about what's been going on for the last couple of weeks. Um, yeah, I mean, we could very easily just just chatter on what did you work on this last two weeks? What was the code that you were working on? Because you were the developer and I was the developer. Um, and I think we have very similar changes have happened over time. Like my day is not made up of code anymore. My day is managing and overseeing the overall projects. Um, and then most of my team members write most of the code now. Like when I get to write code, it's, um, it's, it's a pleasure for sure. Um, but it's not very often. And that made it pretty, it made it a little more challenging to, to talk about code every day because we're not in it anymore. Um, it, you know, it's funny to me because <laughs> I actually got some some criticism from somebody online the other day about how like uh, we've in this in this podcast we've talked about code and best practices and lots of different things over the last couple of years and how we espouse these great development practices and then he went back and looked at some of my some of my um, old and new code and was like this is not great I'm like well yeah. Because number one, it's like four to five years old, but two, like that's, that right there is a perfect illustration of part of the problem of like that we're running into with recording these episodes now is that I'm not in the code anymore. Um, 
and but we're still trying to talk about development. And so I, I think that right there is probably one of the biggest reasons. Um, for me. There, there was a couple other reasons that we talked about though, and one was was time. Time is challenging. Um, when there's the cliche of there's never enough hours in the day, but I think for at least for me that is more true now than it's ever been. Um, and I think it used to be pretty pretty easy, uh, especially when we were living in the code all day, to jump on every two weeks a scheduled call, a scheduled two hours of the day every other week, and record an episode. And we started to find that it was challenging to do that. Uh, we would we would delay a day, we'd delay a day, we'd delay a day. All of a sudden, we've delayed two weeks, and we're not able to record episodes every two weeks. Now we're recording once every month and a half. Mm-hmm. I think, and that definitely continued to get I worse. Think, yeah, for me, like I. I've, I definitely, it came to the point where I felt, it, it felt forced to record an episode, right? And, and I, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of things that go into that feeling, like, you know, time, uh, but also like having to plan the episode and extra, the extra effort that it takes to plan an episode because I'm not in the code every day. And, you know, there's all these things that go into it, but ultimately it stopped being as fun as it used to be, you know, and it felt more forced. And, and then, you know, you take a step back and you're like, well, why, why, why am I doing this? <laughs> right. And then, and then the answer is maybe I shouldn't be right. Like that's the, uh, I think the, one of the pieces of advice that I always see people like as, as they grow further in their personal lives or in their companies or whatever they, they choose to do, it's get better at saying no. I wrote a blog post about this for, <laughs> like, I, sh- I should be doing better at this. And, and at some point I realized, you know what? We don't need to ha- do this anymore. Uh, we need to say no because it's not as fun as it was. So let's say no and let's, let's take right. a break. That's a great point. So that, I, I think I've talked about that on this podcast before because it, uh, there's a great um, blog post by Derek Sivers that it, the, the title is Hell Yeah or No. Right. So if you're not, if you can't say, hell yeah, I want to do that, then just say no. Don't say, yeah, I guess so. Or like, you know, there's no halfway. And that's a, that's an, if you have that problem where you find yourself saying yes a lot and then not enjoying yourself or, or whatever, then, then it's an interesting exercise to, to try that. I, I tried it for a whole year and I found that I ended up probably saying no too often. I, I, I was a little bit too disciplined in, in the in the practice, um, and, and so I had to scale that back uh, since. But but I, I think it is worthwhile practice if you have that problem for sure. I, th- I think it is. I think it's something to be very mindful of. Yeah. So there's your answer. That's that's why Apply Filters is retiring. Uh, we may come back in the future. We may not. Um, there's there is no decision being made other than we're going to stop recording for now. Um, we did have a concern about will the episode stay up. There are some people that like to go back and re-listen. There are, there are people still discovering the podcast. Um, and so, yes, the episodes are going to stay on the air. They're going to stay on the website. We have no intention of taking the website down. Uh, if you ever notice that it's broken, let us know and we'll fix right. it. And I mean, you get you know you can follow us. I mean, Pippin still writes on his blog, and I still write on on the Delicious Brains blog, and you, you know, you guys can still follow us. Uh, on Twitter, like I pretty much post and come chat with us and post status. Yeah, post that Slack. Uh, I don't really participate much in there, but if I get a ping from somebody, I'll answer it. Um, so 
do you participate in post class Slack a lot, like in the conversation? More now than I used okay. to. Um, I tend to, to focus mostly in the business channel and sometimes every now and then the e-commerce channel and the heavy dev channels. Gotcha. Um, not all of them, though. I, I, I typically look in and just I'll, I'll open it a couple times a day, see if what kind of conversation is going on. If it piques my interest, I'll pop in. Right. See, that's that's that hell yeah or no thing. I, I That was one of my no's. <laughs> I have to reevaluate <laughs> that. Um, all right. So what do we we, when we decided that we were going to do this last episode, we, we had to come up with, with some content. Um, and we knew that we were already struggling with um, producing development-oriented content. So we decided to go back to, to our listeners. Um, all of you have been awesome in sending us questions over time. Uh, and so we still have a series of questions to go through. We have some that um, were submitted after we facilitated this last batch of questions. We've got some that have been sitting around for a little bit. So we're going to run through those. And we're gonna we're gonna jump through one last mailbag episode, um, and then we'll say adios. Yeah, for sure. So, Brad, you want to start us off? Yeah, just before that, I want to uh, make a note that uh, all the episodes will be staying up on AppliedFilters.fm. We don't have any plans to take it down, uh, so yeah, we'll be keeping everything up there indefinitely. So, if you ever need to refer back to an episode or, or something, it, sh- it, sh- it should stay up there. Um, as long as we're still building websites, I think, right, Pippin? <laughs> yeah, theoretically, as long as my hosting build. Yeah, paid. exactly. So maybe not forever, forever, but <laughs> but uh, pretty. I'm still still waiting on that free account from people. Yeah, there you go. Right. So should we start off with the questions? Yeah. Okay. Let's do it. So first question is from Lewis Rock, and he asks. Is there any idea of a new plugin you had but not followed, and now after several years after, you regret that you didn't? So, so I think what he's asking is, is there is there something some plugin that we didn't build that we regret not building? Um, I think I've got a couple of little ones. Yes, yeah. um, I've actually got I've got two that I'll, that I'll mention. One of them I did build, and the other one we, um, me and my team ended up not building, but I kind of wish that we had, and maybe we still will. Um, so the first one is actually my my event calendar plugin, my sugar event calendar. Um, that was a little plugin that I built with the intention of being this little tiny plugin that is very simple and does a very basic event calendar. There's a there's a part of me that wishes I had built that out bigger and um, and made it a lot bigger. Um, and now I say that, and I'm going to give you a full disclosure that that is on the agenda is building that plugin out to be a full fledged event calendar plugin. But I can look at it now and say like this plugin has sat here as this very minimal thing for five years. What if I had, what if I had built a much bigger, like what today would it be a, would it have an ecosystem? Would it, would it be comparable to our other products? Um, and, and I, I wonder about that because also then I, I'm thinking about this, like I'm getting ready to, to dive in and work on rebuilding it. And, um, and I, I have worries, like, am I, am I wasting effort? Is this a bunch of time and money and resources that we're just going to throw away? And if I had built it up a lot longer ago, say five years ago, that wouldn't be a question. Like we would know. And so there's that, that's one. The other one, um, one of our biggest challenges with 
all of our plugins, um, our, our main three, Easy Digital Downloads, Research Content Pro, and Affiliate OP, is emails. Emails are terrible. Email delivery is terrible. Just in terms of like overall reliability on web hosting accounts, um, especially when you get into lower end accounts. And so one of, the, one of the projects that we talked about building one time was a dedicated email delivery service um, for that our platforms could tie into automatically. So there's a lot of services out there, um, Mandrel, Mailgun, uh, SendGrid, SES, et cetera, that help solve this problem. But none of them are user-friendly, not one. Every single one of them is developer-oriented, and you're expected to understand API keys, and you're expected to understand what the actual problem is to begin with. Well, let's be honest. Most people's understanding of the problem is my email didn't show up. I don't understand how the tubes work or how the channels work for the email to get there. I just know my email didn't show up. And so we, we were looking at building um, a, a system to solve that and to, to try to solve it anyway. I think it's one of the reasons we didn't build it is because it turned into a much bigger challenge than we had anticipated. Um, but I, I still kind of wish that we, we got a little further with it. I think it would be a pretty, it'd be an interesting project. And I think it is very doable. Mm. What about just what grab? about just building uh, building on top of one of those platforms and just making it easier, like building? Well, I think that I think that's what we would have right. done. Um, but there are there were still a number of hurdles. Um, like we we were looking at using SES, Amazon's service, simple email service for that. Um, and, and there there ended up being just a number of hurdles that didn't prohibit us from doing it but took away some of the advantages of building it in the first place. Um, some of the biggest challenges come in with things like domain verification and like for, uh, for verifying domains and, and spam control and things like that. When you put those into the equation, you lose some of the ease of use that you're trying to create. Uh, and, and so maybe, maybe you don't have that benefit anymore. I, I think there's still a chance that we'll build it and we'll find out. All right. Cool. I like it. Do you have anything? Uh, I think if I go back in time far enough, um, probably the thing that I I regret not doing is when I when I was running a web hosting company, kind of part time. Um, so my business partner was running it full time, and I was just kind of chipping away at the sides, kind of thing. Um, and one thing we had discussed is uh, focusing on. WordPress and hosting WordPress sites like a managed WordPress host essentially and that was back in like 2005 probably uh, 2006 maybe uh, it, was, it was really early on and it probably honestly it probably would have been a little too early <laughs> um, it, actually it might not have been that early on that we were talking about it, it might have been closer to 2008 actually, which the timing would have been better at, at that time, I guess. Um, so yeah, anyway, that's, that's, I remember when we were talking about it, the timing did seem very right. Um, and uh, we just didn't, it just, it, it would have been a lot of, um, we had a lot of other higher priority things and we just never did it. And which is usually the what, reason you don't execute on uh, a new idea, right? It's just, you've got so much other things on your plate that it's, it's really hard to to kind of make that leap take that leap of faith and start something new so 
Yeah, especially if you take those, like, if you take your, you have 24 hours in a day, and let's be honest, a lot of that is spent sleeping, eating, and hopefully having a little bit of fun. <laughs> um, and then some of those hours are spent working and taking care of those tasks. You have all of these little things that you say, well, like, this is my immediate to-do list because I know that if I don't do this today, I have to do it tomorrow. And so you tend to focus on those, whereas if you look at this bigger project, you say, well, this could benefit me in the, in the future, but I'm going to have to take, I'm going to have to push aside all of these little things that I need to work on now in order to do it. And, and it's, I mean, it's, it's just like an investment. Um, it's, you know, you have to look at the long-term future versus the right now gratification. Right now, that gratification is marking off that to-do list. Or you can take a gamble and say, oh, I hope this works for the future, but it might be a bunch of wasted time. And that's challenging. Yeah, to do. it is. But I, I think I think I uh, need to take those leaps more often. Because um, the thing is, like, if you just if you're just continuously working on the same products all the time and not working on anything new, you're not innovating, right? So, you. Like as a company, I think it's important that we do build new things all the time. Uh, not all, like maybe you shouldn't be starting new projects every week, right? Like you should focus, but there has to be a balance, right? Like you can't go for years and working on the same thing without any innovation, I think. Um, at least that's that's my view of it. Because, um, you know, things change. The markets change, everything changes. So it's always nice to have kind of diversified uh, product line, right? Um, like like you guys have three products, right? So if, you know, uh, the affiliate one starts to go down, you know, the other ones are probably going to be okay, right? Um, mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, it's, it's nice to have that. So should we get to the next question? Right, so, so speaking of that, um, Jonathan Bossinger asked, what is one piece of advice you wish you could send back in time to yourself when you started developing products for WordPress? Hmm. Is there anything that you wish you had done differently in the early days of your products? Oh yeah. <laughs> like, All right. Like, like a million things probably. Um, I wish that I had, um, hired someone in a time zone that was closer to mine so that I didn't have to stay up till midnight, um, you know, working with them. (laughs) My first hire was someone in Australia, which is almost the exact opposite clock as, as mine. So like they were coming on as I was supposed to be going to bed. And so just to have a little bit of overlap, I would have to stay up late at night. Um, so that was a huge mistake. Uh, I think that's probably the biggest mistake I made early on. Um, yeah. What about you, Pippin? I, I've answered this question before. And one of the answers I've come up with was I wish I hired sooner. Um, I, I spent the first several years working solo and I, and I go back and forth on that now, actually. Sometimes I wish I'd hired sooner. Sometimes I, I'm glad I didn't. Um, I still feel like going back that the way that, that I started to hire was right and successful. Um, one thing I do wish that I had done, I think, is I wish I had hired a a dedicated marketing person um, or content creator or somebody like that early on. Um, because what one thing that we've always struggled with in, in our teams is, is marketing, content production, and related efforts. Because we've never had anybody that's focused on that. 
we've had full-time support. We've had full-time development. We've had, um, we've had full-time bookkeeper. We've had all those kinds of roles, but we've never had a marketer or content producer. Um, and I don't know exactly why. I think a lot of it comes down to, I'm generally pretty slow to hire. Uh, and I'm generally a little bit reluctant to hire um, because I like a small team. And I think another aspect, another reason is I, I have, I've become very, I, I know very well for myself now that I am not good at those roles and that I am not, I don't really know exactly how to hire for those roles. And so maybe it's a fear thing um, in that I, I have a hard time understanding or knowing how to gauge if somebody is going to do a really good job at that. Like, I, I mean, I, if I see your results, like I can look at those results and say, those are great. But when it comes into when it comes into uh, to time to say like, to interview somebody or try to find that person, it's not a role that I'm familiar with, and so it's not a role that I know how to hire for. Uh, and so I think looking back, I wish that I had taken some gambles earlier on and just done it and just said, "Hey, I need somebody to do this for me because it's not my it's not my role." Yeah, um, I I can I can uh, I can relate. Uh, I mean, we we just hired. Um, Liz this year to, to handle our marketing stuff and yeah I was I spent so much time doing that hiring pro- setting up that hiring process and just going through it and and uh, and it was all based on fear and uh, honestly I don't regret it at all I think it was time well spent because uh, Liz has been working out really great and it's it's just been excellent so um, you know I feel like we we I, I feel I feel like I nailed it with getting the right person uh, for our team, and and uh, so that is such a satisfying. Feeling. Yeah, exactly. So maybe fear is good, right? <laughs> In this case, you don't. It's, it, that's something you don't run or rush into, right? Like so. No, for sure. And I actually, I can I, I can say that we've um, we've stumbled with hiring by going a little bit too fast. Right by cutting corners, you know I, I've I've been very cautious, and then I've gone right like all the way the other way and been super careless. <laughs> and I think um, it's you know the, those mistakes that I made. Like I, I need to find that middle ground where where it's like the sweet spot where I'm not spending tons of time, but I'm not spending no time on it. Right. Next question. Uh, is from Ross Johnson and he asks I noticed that Affiliate WP has a lifetime license option at $4.99 since pricing is an interesting psychological topic and Pippin seems to make good use of data I'm curious if this option is because you figured out the average lifetime value of a customer is less than $4.99 or if it is an anchor to make the other price point seem cheaper? It's based on data. Yeah. Um, well, okay, look, I'm gonna give you a caveat. It was it was based on expected data originally because you have to keep in mind, because when we first launched Affiliate MP, we included a lifetime option. And when we did that, it was a new product. So we didn't know what the lifetime value was. However, we did know what the lifetime value was at that time for EDD and for Restricted Content Pro. Um, so we did have some data to back it up. Uh, and what we did is 
I, I thought about if I'm going if I'm going to get one payment out of somebody, like how much do we need to get basically uh, to account for the fact that they may be there forever or for the life of the product, asking us support questions, getting updates, etc. So how do I make sure that I'm not going to lose money on this in the long run? Um, and what we ended up going with was we looked for three and a half years worth of revenue from a customer. So we took our pricing and said, if this person purchases and then comes back and renews for three and a half years, or we're, really we went four years and we cut it back just a little bit, what does that price point need to be? And that was pretty much how we came up with $4.99. Originally it was $4.49 and now it's $4.99. Um, so there was that piece of data that we used just to say, look, if we get three and a half years, I think we're, we're safe. Are we going to have some customers that maybe get more value out of it over five years? Certainly. But they, the, the majority of customers will not have any issues with that. And they, our support team won't be burdened with that. But we will have secured three and a half years. So looking at that then, keep in mind that Affiliate WP is not yet three and a half years old. Um <laughs> And so we haven't even reached those points yet. Uh, and right. So you don't know yet if it's if it's a good idea. We don't know yet. It's it's still a little bit of a gamble. Yeah. But we do have the data. We have other data to back it up. So I mentioned that we had the lifetime value of EDD and RCP. Um, the lifetime value of EDD is one hundred and fifty dollars. Average lifetime value of customers over all time. And so yeah, I'll take four ninety nine. Because if, if my average is, is only going to be one ninety nine, and I believe the average for affiliate OP currently is is higher than that, um, but it's not that much higher. Uh, and so yeah, it's mostly a, bit, a database decision, but it does it does also work to anchor the other prices to make the other ones seem lower. Right. So a lot of people that have these lifetime plans, they just do lifetime plugin updates and still do like one year of email support. But you guys do lifetime email support. Um, what was the thought process behind that? I think honestly, we had just not thought to even separate them. Right. Um, we may we may change that in the future. I, I'm not sure at the moment. Uh, it's not causing us any issues at all. Uh, so it's it's working very well for us at the moment. Uh, and we'll we'll see if that changes. Um, the nice thing is that we're we're able to be flexible if it changes. I mean, if we if we suddenly realize that um, once we get to the three and a half year mark that all of these customers that purchased lifetime a year and a half, I mean, uh, three and a half years ago, they're now prob problems, like we're not gonna kick them out, but it might mean that, okay, we need to adjust so that new customers, when they get to that three and a half year mark, we don't have the same issue being exacerbated. Um, another thing that we looked at with lifetime options, and this is something that I think people tend to forget. Um, I find that I'm actually a little bit of a rarity, I think, in that I really like the lifetime options from a business perspective. Um, most software products don't live very long, let's be honest. We didn't even know if Philadelphia would live to be three years old or five years old or 10 years old. We don't know what it is. Like to, to me, EDD feels like it's been a lifetime and it's not even five years old um, or it's five years old. I don't know how old. It's five or six. But but, it's, but the point is, like, software products don't live that long. And so when we're talking about three to five years, I mean, that is the lifespan of a lot of products. So maybe, like, we don't even need, I don't need to be concerned. In, in, in most cases, 
I do not need to be concerned about supporting somebody from eight years ago because that customer literally will not exist on that product in eight years. Like, I don't know if I can name a single WordPress product that's been around for eight years, except for maybe something like, there's, there's a couple of them, um, but their business models have fundamentally changed throughout those eight years. Like they're totally different systems. They're totally different platforms now. Um, and I think, I think people get caught up in the idea that a lifetime options mean I'm supporting you for 30 years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it, and it, I mean, it, it could, um, it's possible. <laughs> yeah, it, you're right. It is possible, Unlike especially it. if you've written the poor, a poor terms and conditions, but, uh, <laughs> very anyway, unlikely. So that's my yeah. take. Have you, yeah. have you experimented with the prices for affiliate W or did you just set it and forget it? Um, uh, we, we did do, in the first year and a half, we did some price experiments, and then we did do a price change about nine months ago. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, we've done some experiments. We've done some, some testing with renewal discounts, no renewal discounts, et cetera. Um, we, we had manual renewals and automatic renewals, um, and, and that's all in the span of like two and a half years. So, again, we're not even, we're not even to the three and a half year mark. Right. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. All right. So Brian Krogsgaard uh, asked, what's one big takeaway or thing you've applied to your own business, which you only discovered by sharing about your business with others in this medium or others? Right. Uh, Brian asking hardball questions. Yeah, good question, Mr. Krogsgaard. Uh, I think, uh, so I, I definitely get a lot from sharing. Um, I just wrote a blog post um, that we published this week um, that's uh, about why it took so long to uh, release MigrateDB Pro 1.8. And in that process of writing that post, I there was a bunch of assumptions that I was making that I had to, I actually went to the team and I was like, so I'm thinking that this happened, but is that what happened? Because <laughs> there was there's certain things like you don't even uh, like and, until you're actually trying to distill things down and communicate it to to share it, you don't really recognize the assumptions that you've made. And so for me, that that was super valuable. The exercise of writing that blog post because I was able to kind of. Uh, dig into some of the some of the issues that we had that I thought we had, and it turns out some of the issues that I thought we had weren't really much of an issue. Um, so so yeah, I, I was yeah I I find yeah sharing is super super valuable. Um, what about you, Pippin? Is there any anything that that you've shared in particular? I, I think that that's one of the the big ones for me as well. I think back to the number of times when I've gone to somebody on the team or, or not on the team and said, guys, I've got a problem. Can, can I hash it out with you real quick? And then purely by the act of talking about it, I answer my own question. I saw it. Not, not even with, with, with zero insight from anybody else. It, it is simply the act of talking about it and laying it out and trying to explain it in a way that somebody else can step into the situation that you're in and try to understand the thought process and maybe, and then hopefully provide their suggestion or their advice on what to do. 
um, whether it's a bug or a decision you're trying to make, whatever it is. So simply the act of talking about it makes a huge difference. And I found that I've had that same experience um, any time that I've talked about a business decision that we made or a development decision that we made, uh, learn about, honestly, I learn about why we did it more while writing about it than while making the actual decision. Um, because I think it's part of it is that it gives you that time to sit there and re- reflect while you're trying to compose it all in your head or you're trying to compose it on paper or however you're through your keyboard, however you're, you're conveying the message. You're trying to com- compose it together and make sense of it, not only in your own head, but trying to make, make sense to others. And in doing so, it makes a whole lot more sense to you um, or becomes more clear or something like that. And that's been infinitely valuable. Um, in, in, I'm not sure if there's a single, like, if I could say that there's one takeaway as like a particular decision that we made that I only realized by sharing. Um, but, but I think just in general that sharing and talking about it here in private channels and conversations in person at word camps on my blog, et cetera, that has been valuable. And maybe it's the, um, don't, don't live and work in silence. Exactly. Yep. hundred percent. All right. Uh, we got one more question, uh, from Scott Patterson. He asks, uh, or he says, I think it would be great if you did an episode on hiring developers, managing developers and projects, uh, how to determine salaries. Uh, and I think in a previous episode, a few episodes back, uh, we did promise to have a discussion about salary, developer salaries and, and countries. Um, I know, I know it's, um, it's really, uh, it's really tricky, right? That whole topic, because let, let me try to set it up. So let's say you have a developer that's working in the Philippines, right? The economy there, it doesn't take much US dollars to live very comfortably in the Philippines, right? But let's say the developer is producing code of the same caliber, same quality as the developer you have hired that's based in the US. And let's say the developer based in the US is making uh, 90K a year. Should you pay the person in the Philippines 90K a year? They're producing the same amount of work, but they can live like a king on 90, a 90K a year in the Philippines. Right? So that. Well, that person living in San Francisco is not doing nearly as well. Right, right. So I said 90K. You, to live in San Francisco, you'd need six figures, uh, you know, at least. So. Um, so that that's the dilemma, right? Like I don't I, I don't have a good answer for it to be honest. I don't I, I know I know Buffer does something like when you move, then they recalculate your salary. Because uh, let's, let's say you move from a city to the country, because Buffer has like their all their calculations and stuff is public, like their salary calculations. So if, if you live in a city like San Francisco, you get a bonus. You get extra money because you live in San Francisco. Uh, and so they, and then if you move out of San Francisco, then you have to, your salary needs to be adjusted for that event. 
um, which I don't know if I agree with that or not. It's it's I don't I don't and I don't know if there's a perfect system. I, well, I, I'm pretty confident there's not a perfect system, and I, but I just I don't know what's right. <laughs> um, it's a tough one, man. I, I don't know. It is a tough one. Well, it also bring, brings up issues that as, as, as businesses, if you are a person or a team in charge of hiring people um, and you are also a team in charge of trying to make the company profitable and work well, all of a sudden you have an incentive to hire people in places that pay less. And that's not necessarily good or bad. But it is it, uh, it is a very very real thing. I think the only like constant in it is that it's challenging. No matter how you look at it, no matter what you decide, like what is philosophically, uh, psychologically right or wrong, what is what is best for people, what is best for the company, it's super challenging. Um, we've I've had it a couple of times trying to figure out. Uh, and I'll be honest, it's one of my least favorite parts of being the, the boss, <laughs> trying to figure out what to pay people. Um, and also, and there's also, hold on, we got to step back for a second, because there's also a lot of other things that you keep in mind. Like sometimes, for example, you're trying to hire a very specific person. And so maybe you, you decide I'm going to pay you extra because I'm trying to encourage you to come over. Sometimes you have somebody that already wants to work for you. And so it doesn't take as much to convince them. Or you have all of these different things that come into play. Or for example, like as a U.S. company, we, we pay health insurance for all of our U.S. employees. But we have, a lot, we have employees that don't live in the U.S. and they have government-provided health care. Right. Should they be paid less because they, some of their salary doesn't go to health care? Right. It's super tricky it's not even you don't even uh, have to go international to get crazy because every state has a different healthcare situation no, right absolutely right <laughs> yeah uh like i mean we, we've got we've got employees that live in california we have some in arizona we have some in south carolina i'm in kansas all of those states have fundamentally different levels of living expenses and even from city to city like i actually i remember when i when i moved from one city in kansas to another city in kansas my living expenses dropped like overnight, just because the city was so much cheaper where I lived, I could the house that I could buy was a lot cheaper. All of our standard daily expenses were lower, and that was only a two hundred mile move. And that all of a sudden meant that as like as the as the owner of the company, I needed less to live, and I gave myself a pay cut because I just didn't I didn't need it anymore, and it was better for the company if I did. But does that then that you wonder does that then go over to everybody else. Like if one of, if one of our employees decides to leave New York city and move to middle of nowhere Midwest and their living expenses get cut, cut in half or more, do we cut their salary? Right. I mean, the, the quick answer says, no, that would be a terrible thing. To right. Do. Like how could you? Right. But, 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 but you can look, but, hold on. but you can look at it the other way around if, if they move. Right. If you, what if you move from the exactly. Midwest, like somewhere in the Midwest where it's super cheap and you move to New York city, and all of a sudden your salary isn't even, adequate to pay rent exactly. for a one bedroom apartment. Exactly. Now all of a sudden getting a raise makes perfect sense. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Super tricky. It's super tricky. Like it, it seems like from the employee's perspective, it makes sense when they get a raise because they've moved somewhere more expensive, but does, does not compute that they would get a pay cut by <laughs> moving somewhere cheaper. You can give me more and more and more, but don't ever take it away. Exactly. 
Exactly. And I, I'm, I'm saying that because I think if I put myself in that position, I would feel the same way, right? Like I would. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's just natural. Yeah. Yeah. But it, from a business perspective, it doesn't make sense. If, if it goes one way, it should go the other. <laughs> it should swing, you know? So uh, it's tough, man. It's a tough one. I don't, I don't think there is any, you know, perfect solution there. Um, no, I don't either. I think, I think maybe the best that I can come up with is just that be mindful of it. I think if you are somebody that is in a position of hiring, um, I think you have to be mindful of it and you can't, you, you can't just ignore it. Um, I mean, whether your decision is that you have a flat pay scale, that's great. Or that you, you have a, an equation that you use, that's fine. Right. But be mindful of it because it's a very real challenge. Right. Yes, I agree hundred percent. And I think it's, I think the bottom line is that everyone on the team should not be struggling, um, you know, to, to take care of their bare necessities and, and because that's going to affect their work, right? Like if, if they can't, if they can't afford to have dinner one night a week, obviously that's going to be a huge problem for their performance at work. Right. So, you know, you have to, you have to definitely, you know, navigate. I mean, that's an extreme example, but, but you know, the idea is still there. So, yeah, I think it sets a good baseline to basically say, look, I may not know where we'd cap you at, but I do know that we're going to take care of your necessities. We are going to make sure that you can do your work and that you can live a comfortable life. Now, everybody's definition of a comfortable life is going to be yep. different, but that I think should be at your like your psychological core when you are deciding how you set the salaries. Yep, exactly. It's tough, man. It's, it's a not, yeah, it's probably one of my least favorite parts of, uh, of managing a company, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. um, well, I think uh, maybe we should wrap it up. I think that's going to do yeah. it. Thank you, everybody, who submitted questions for this episode and all past episodes. Yeah. It's been fun. Yeah, thanks, everybody, for sticking with us through all 83 episodes. Uh, for those who have joined us just recently, maybe you can go back uh, to some older episodes. There should be some some good uh, gems here and there that are still relevant. Um, and uh, I guess here's to the next chapter, whatever's next. Cheers, Pippin. Cheers. Thanks, everybody.